0: welcome to A Cry For Kelp with me Nick Woodens where I interview the movers and shakers of the seaweed industry. This is the second half of my conversation with Samantha Dean of the Kelp Forest Foundation. In the first half we discuss their work to collect quality actionable data on the many benefits that come from growing giant kelp. In this half we're going to look into the future and discuss what needs to happen for the best possible scenarios to become a reality. Let's get back to it. <laughs> That's such a good segue into my next question, which is about blue green um, plans and, and sort of blue growth in general. What what have your has your experience shown, um, and uh, how has it affected your predictions for the next ten years for the for the seaweed industry, not just in Africa um, and Namibia, but, but but around the world?
1: Well, it's very interesting to look at the FAO's uh, report, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN. They came out with a report in 2021 where they looked at the agricultural production uh, statistics and the world seaweed cultivation production tonnage increased by a thousand folds from uh, 34,000 tons to 34 million tons between 1950 and 2019. And the biggest right. growth going from 1990 to, the, to 2018, from 5 to 35 million tons. So wow. that is um, an incredible increase in, in production. Mostly, I must say, in Asia, 98% of production does happen in Asia. But the West yeah. is waking up to this sustainable, untapped resource. And not only is population growing fast, but also our available land because we are building more, because we're more people, we need more housing, more industry, etc. is also shrinking um, on the one hand, and, of course, deforestation is increasing on the other. So we need to find alternative production uh, biomass inputs from an untapped resource of the ocean, which is 71% of our planet. So there are a lot yeah. of numbers out there, but most of them... Um, believe that there is going to be a compound annual growth, a KGAR, of between 9 and 13% every year. So it is a market that will not only increase in terms of cultivation, but also on the products. And R&D is being invested in many products, be it packaging like bioplastics that we talked about. There has been some Mm -hmm. uh, research on the biofuels. The replacement for synthetic fertilizers, for nutraceuticals, for pharmaceuticals, for cosmetics. I mean, there, we, I think we probably know about thirty percent of the uses of the kelp molecules or the seaweed molecules. So there's oh you know, uh, okay, only
0: thirty percent. How yeah. interesting! I, I thought it would be more than that. That's great. That that's that fills me with lots of confidence. There's going to be some really exciting entrepreneurs coming to the fold soon. Uh,
1: absolutely, I hope so. Cause that is what makes the market yeah. grow. So I think there are there are three areas that will make the market grow. Is one obviously lowering costs of production so that you can have more at a at a, a reasonable price for the as an input. The R and D into products, uh, proving to the world that the products are good for the environment, for example, and helping agriculture move to more sustainable um, fertilizers, for example, or biopackaging, etc. So the R and D still has to be done to create new products. And then thirdly, also the, the policy, the governments, the licenses, educating the policymakers and the license givers that seaweed ag- agriculture in the ocean is not the same as finfish or other users uh, that are in the yeah. agriculture space so that they really understand that all the benefits that come from this type of seaweed um, aquaculture. So and that yeah and they we... don't
0: just just parachute policy from finfish fish exactly. onto seaweed as if it's exactly the same thing because it's almost you know hu- hugely different we they've definitely found that up in Scotland I believe that that's that the, the, the Crown Estate were leading into how to best come up with new policy because it's it it can't just be the old policy from a, from something else from a different organism
1: absolutely and that is one of the big barriers to entry and then lastly of course finance is still not that easy to attract the kind of finance that this industry really needs to grow the impact finance world uh, sort of want to know the number of uh, for carbon sequestration for example which is still in its infancy in terms of proof mm. of how much carbon is sequestered because it is so difficult the the kelp detritus the dead kelp which is carrying all these carbon could be you know 5000 kilometers from the farm so There is still, you know, that disbelief in terms of numbers. Um, And until they can really say, you know, you are sequestering X, there is no methodology yet for carbon sequestration of cultivated kelp, for example. That is something that the foundation is also involved in. Um, And it's a chicken and egg because if you don't have the science, you also can't really prove the amount of carbon, which means that you can't get a carbon credit, which means that the kelp farmers don't have that extra income that would help them to scale up. And until this is really scaled, you don't have economies of scale, but you also don't have the impact, the positive impact on the ocean at a scale that is uh, significant and relevant.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that if we can't scale up, then there's there's some products that will still be in that 70% of products that we still don't know about until we hit a certain level of supply, they don't become viable, right? So we'll, we'll, we need to get to yeah, a position where that happens. I do think the carbon credit world is just is is fascinating. It's so interesting because there's so much uh, hyperbole around it. You know, you you hear about the big companies saying we're going to net zero and we're buying this forest here for it, and that's it, and you're protecting it. And actually, you look under the hood, and there's 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 all sorts of caveats. And I heard one company in America um, had bought their own ranch that they already owned, and they just said, yeah, that's our carbon credit. And I thought it's so, so, such a shame that so many people are being uh, relatively cynical with this amazing opportunity to help the world with, with, with their profits. And, um, but I don't know when that's going to change or not. I get the feeling that there is the pace of change is, is coming and there is, and the pressure is coming from governments. Do you think that's going to make an impact in the next five years or are we still, we, we still got 10 years before companies properly lean into it?
1: I can see that um, a lot of companies that we come across really want to make a change and they want to make it from within and they're changing a lot of the ways and putting pressure on their supply chain. Uh, we know one big company, for example, that has a lot of farmers within its supply chain and is dictating that these farmers really have to change the way that they are working their land. So they are making them use less uh, chemical fertilizers, for example, and uh, going to more regenerative agriculture. So there are many ways that companies are going through the sustainability change. The carbon credits is a shame also that there are certain companies that have put a black mark on it because it can be a very useful way of helping to fund um, this increase in this uh, type of sector or in conservation, for example. So mm. I agree with you that uh, it is an important um, way of, uh, yeah, that we should be really supporting the carbon credit market. But it has to be done transparently, independently, without having greenwashing and carbon cowboys um, so yeah. that oh, I is, like that carbon
0: yeah. cowboys. I'm going to use that. <laughs> use that in my conversations with other people. I'm going to find some carbon cra- cowboys as well, Samantha, and I'm going to hold them to account. That's my good plan in the future. Yeah. One question I think uh, I always like to ask for people working in this industry is, is because I know there are entrepreneurs listening to this pod who are thinking, how can they, how can they come up with a solution? What, what are the gaps in the market and the value chain that you see? from your perspectives, with the data collector that the industry could do with to which make your life specifically easier?
1: A couple of things. One is the some of the technology we use is way behind uh, the land-based technology. So we find it uh, expensive to buy the sensors. A nutrient sensor will cost $35,000 and that's just one parameter and that's for just one sensor. Um, satellite technology can't go really deep into the ocean, for example. Uh, so there is quite a lot of investment still to be done in the data collection side of um, the ocean tech. We are working closely with a lot of ocean tech companies uh, to try to co-develop or help them develop technology that will help us. Uh, the ocean is obviously a very salty, rough environment. So a lot of the technology that has been developed for water does not necessarily stand uh, the test of time and roughness and, and, you know, environment of the ocean. So that still needs to be developed. And if there is some, then it's very, very expensive. Um, so that working in silos doesn't help we really should have, find ways of getting together in the same room and exchange notes of what worked for you what sensors are you using what to avoid for example and we need to connect those silos and, and part of my my work is really getting a lot of these universities into one same zoom call and trying to come up with solutions that are uh, you know get us to the answer much quicker so we do need um, a lot of investment in in connecting these silos in the ocean tech. Um, capacity building is something that, you know, when you're working in a place like Namibia, you realize that sometimes you have to go back to zero and and help uh, capacity build your researchers by teaching them how to swim or how to scuba dive or how to yeah. run a lab properly or how to look after the sensors. We've lost two sensors, for example, and... Um, oh, wow. You know, so there are a lot of little bits of capacity building that uh, we, you know, maybe take for granted in other places. Um, we didn't have, for example, a decompression chamber. And if you're going to be doing things in the deep, deep ocean, you you need to have somewhere that if your divers have a problem, that they can go to. So working in Namibia has these extra little challenges that um, some of them are, are solvable, but some of them take time uh, to to improve yeah no i understand
0: and uh, anything else so we've got sensors is there anything else uh, that we could that, 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 that maybe within that world not just the monitoring but i'm just thinking just in the, in the industry in general do you think there's some some things that could, could jump over a bottleneck i don't I'm thinking about harvesting equipment or or some of the ways that we uh, the the seaweed nurseries and things like that is there anything there absolutely
1: that you so you you know automating the seeding and the harvest process is important. Um, leverage selective breeding to increase yields uh, could be another one. Um, you know, the uh, decarbonizing equipment um, so that you really lower your impact in the ocean itself. Uh, even the ports could be decarbonized because today, you know, you, there is no electric boats, there's nowhere to... To plug one, if you had one, um, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, getting rid of nets or all equipment, all of that recycling should be helped. Developing low cost and accurate MRV techniques um, for ocean-based CDR, so monitoring and um, and verification techniques, oh. um, de-risking the alternative types of farming and mooring design. So that you can maximize the space and and minimize the capex, uh, the investment. So there are a lot of um, areas that you know that have to be developed within the seaweed world before it can really scale up uh, consistently and at a at a reasonable price.
0: Yeah, understandable, understandable. Um, but they're coming, you know. I'm sure they I'm sure they will come. What we need is just to. I think we just need to get in front of. Uh, that people have you heard of Y Combinator? Yeah. In America. Yeah, that I think we we need to get in front of those a lot and start them to look more closely at green tech and and, and find the, the the whiz kids who can come up with the not just because they seem to be obsessed with software over there at the moment. That that whole venture world seems to only Find interest in, in, in software, and I, I can't help but feel that there's there's still some hardware out there that is that's got game changing capability. We just uh, it just is not flavor of the month at the moment from from a venture backed uh, point of view. Um, so I hope that that can yeah. change, but we'll, we shall. see. Yeah, you
1: do you do have amazing companies like um, Nature Metrics that I that I mentioned. By the way, I'm not a shareholder or have any kind of relationship that that is not work relationship with it. But basically, they have brought eDNA, environmental DNA to the masses in such a user-friendly, cost-effective, transparent way that it makes uh, our lives as researchers very uh, fruitful because you can suddenly see the, the results of what you're doing in a very... A user-friendly way so you can have a visualization of, for example, the biodiversity in your water and how it's changed over the last few months and then be able to really independently and transparently compare to what the impacts are once you have the kelp forest. So there is development in ocean um, techniques or research techniques and if we could multiply those to visualization, you know, to be able to have cameras that could stay in the water all year round, and sending the data by uh, wireless forms um, to the office without having to go and download the data every so often, um, or ways to calculate biomass using a combination of AI and and satellite, for example, without having to go and measure it yourself. You probably have to do both, but but there is it is very nascent in terms of trying to. Uh, to get the data that then ties into all of these different uh, models, like the carbon sequestration model.
0: I can't have a feel, though, with 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 like that, that maybe the sort of um, ancillary no, ancillary the wrong word, but the adjacent industry here is 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 health tech because health tech is just getting really really interesting, and people are finding ways of sensor or, of getting sensors into people's bodies, but they're also getting them from accessing people's moods and all sorts of stuff. And I think there will be in the not too distant future, um I think it was said. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the quote uh, perfectly, but here, here goes: It was uh, if you look at what a, what a, what the billionaires are doing right now, that's probably what consumers are going to do in the future. Uh, so billionaires tend to be like just at the forefront because they've got all the cash and they just want to optimize their life. And often they're trying to achieve immortality. So you look at Jeff Bezos, and he's absolutely ripped, and he's got all the sorts of gadgets and stuff to make sure that he can live until he's, I don't know, 10,000 and can make it all the way to Alpha surai. but I think he's just it, it, its just interesting because that's where quite a lot of money is going, it's about how can we optimise human beings so I wonder if within that there is going to be some tech that will be created that we could then take and put it into the ocean and start to, to absorb it, so it would be, yeah, just, just a thought I wonder if that's where we could look for interesting entrepreneurs and, and, and uh, brain power
1: Absolutely. Please, bring them on.
0: Uh, I'll look into it. I'll see I'll see if I can get somebody on the pod who's, who's into that. You might wonder why a, a, a guy like me is asking them to come on the pod and talk about seaweed, but hopefully I can, uh, I can sell it to him. This is a difficult question, but it's a, it's a very simple question. Do you think we can grow enough seaweed to genuinely make an impact on the carbon that's in our atmosphere? Do you think it's possible?
1: I think if the West grows to the speed that the East has done, China, Indonesia, etc., have done in the last few years, Um, there is enough space. You could go from 2,000 square kilometers of cultivated seaweed today to four and a half million, for example, so kilometers, according to Carlos Duarte, that you can, it's not a silver bullet, but you can help to reduce the amount of CO2 temporarily in the water, which has positive effects like deacidification, oxygenation, and long-term in the deep ocean. So you have, you know, both sides of them are valid and valuable. So do I think that like Tim Flannery believes that if we we cultivated 9% of the ocean, if that would be enough to um, sequester all the excess CO2 that us humans produce? Maybe. I don't know. I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm <laughs> working on the well, research to tell you whether that's going to be it or
0: not it's possible or not well even if I think you know it's going to be a multifaceted faceted response isn't it it's going to need lots of different things to happen and they all need to happen at the right time and preferably quickly but uh, at least we are part of you are part of the solution and, and I salute you for being that I always like to ask this question uh, as we sort of come to close what do you hope people know about this world before they throw themselves headlong into it
1: I think when you go into seaweed, you've got to understand that it is a new industry for the West. It's been around for 400 years uh, in Japan, for example, uh, in the East. But it is, it's is—it's a big unknown and people and finance and money are not really happy to go and invest in this area until they have all the numbers and all the science. Um, so you will get frustrated uh, by the, you know, lack of interest still uh, that the finance world has, because we're talking about infrastructure size projects. If you want to do offshore seaweed at scale, which takes infrastructure size money, you know, millions of dollars, but you know, it is it is difficult to get uh investors and private equity to be involved in this and i think it's to do because we are one linear in terms of investment point of view which is what is the profit as opposed to seeing it in a much more holistic way uh, as to what is the profit plus the benefits and therefore that is the benefit and not just the profit so i think we have to change a bit the whole way that the finance world and the investors see this industry and that it shouldn't just be about the profits, but also all those direct and indirect benefits that we're giving to the ocean and the planet.
0: Yes, it's uh, uh, conscious capitalism, I believe, is, is one of the terms been thrown around. Just, not just about making money, but actually providing real value to a lot of people. Uh, Not for not for just profit too. Yeah, I hope so too. And you know, you've been in it a while now. Do you think uh, you know what's? Well, most importantly, I like to always ask: Are you guys hiring? And if so, what are you looking for?
1: In the foundation, um, we are very lean and mean, so we try to keep uh, overheads low. So we're always um, happy to have interns uh, and people helping uh, for free. And then we are looking with, you know, we we might be looking for people who are involved in the science side that could, you know, could be overseeing the whole scientific side. I'm not per se a scientist myself. I'm my my background is law and economics, but I am the 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 connector, the fundraiser, the organizer. So it would be nice to have somebody who is much more scientific to be able to run these the scientific. Uh, silos put them all together that we're doing under the kelp forest foundation so that is my answer
0: good that's very helpful um and it just made me think uh if there is an entrepreneur out there and she is thinking you know i I, i've got this great idea um can she just get in touch with the kelp forest foundation and say look this is my plan what do you think of it have you got any data that i can potentially buy off you or i can you could share with me Is, is that fair or are you not really in that space
1: Absolutely. I speak to entrepreneurs quite a lot because I am so involved in in the seaweed world from the the funders, foundations, uh, ocean tech science. You know, I'm a sort of connector. Um if I can't help directly, I probably will know someone that can and maybe they want to develop their product or technology um using our space as you know data input so yeah absolutely i'm very happy to always uh, educate connect help uh, because i think that's the only way that as a sector we are all going to be become bigger and better
0: oh what a lovely way to round off the episode so this has been really lovely thank you so much for taking the time to chat
1: nick thanks for your time and for putting the focus on the seaweed sector